0: to the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. For more on events, news, and research, visit us at shorensteincenter.org.
1: Well, welcome to you all. I'm Alex Jones. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Policy, and I'm glad to have you here. It is my Pleasure to uh, welcome Brian McGorry, who is the editor of the Boston Globe and has been he is a Boston guy, he is a Globe guy, he has spent your whole career pretty much, I think, at the Globe. Nearly,
2: nearly 25
1: years. So where were you before?
2: Uh, New Haven.
1: That doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even consider New New Haven for all (laughs) kinds of reasons. Uh, But uh, as I know uh, many of you in this room know, the Boston Globe is seminal uh, of seminal importance to New England. It is a newspaper uh, that was owned by the Taylor family. Uh, they sold it to the New York Times Company. The New York Times Company operated it for a number of years and went through the uh, excruciatingly painful uh, process of effectively turning the Boston Globe into, from a, from a basically a paternalistically generously run uh, enterprise that was making so much money that the owners didn't really mind giving lifetime job guarantees to advertising salesmen and things like that, to a place where there were some very difficult choices, where the labor unions, um, you know, especially the Newspaper Guild, almost shut the place down and the New York Times had to threaten to close it before they could get the concessions that they felt were needed and were probably needed because the Boston Globe was geared to be a family paper in a town where there was a you know a lock on the advertising business and it was making money hand over fist as we all know those days are gone and the Boston Globe more recently has made some very bold moves to raise its, uh, its subscription c- price, which reduced its circulation, but added a brand new significant uh, f- stream of revenue. Uh, the Boston Globe, as I understand it now, gets about half its revenue from circulation roughly. Is that about right? That's, that's significant, because the Boston Globe was held out uh, for some time as the poster child of exactly the kind of newspaper in this new digital era that was going to go down. Well, it hasn't gone down. It's got a new owner, John Henry, uh, the owner of the Red Sox, well-funded, committed apparently, uh, and Brian tells me uh, has left the news operation of the Boston Globe to him. That does not mean that the Boston Globe is out of the woods. The Boston Globe faces the same kinds of problems, structural problems, that every newspaper in the country faces, uh, except the Metro version of that is supposed to be as bad as it gets. It is my great pleasure that uh, Brian is so bold as to come here and talk about the future of newspapers. I believe they have a future, but I tend to be in a minority uh, in many cases. Uh, but, Brian, we're very glad to have you, and welcome.
2: Thank you, Alex, very, very much. Um, uh, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here at Harvard as part of the Shorenstein Center, and uh, particularly with you, Alex. Uh, in this industry, uh, opinions uh, are a dime a dozen. Uh, but your opinions come with something that uh, very few others do, and that is a depth of knowledge that is respected around uh, around the business. so thank you for the invite here. Thank um, you. I was told repeatedly that uh, these were going to be informal uh, an informal chat. Um, if this is Harvard's version of informal.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it is informal. I don't see a tie except the well, one I'm wearing and the one you're wearing. I was going to say,
2: if I'm <laughs> if I'm invited to a formal address here, I'm coming in white tie and tails. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: but uh, thank you for, for that. Uh, uh, so I will briefly address, uh, I was just going to talk for about 10 minutes and then open it up to a conversation if I could. Um, I will briefly address uh, the topic today which is what is the future of newspapers and I can actually be very brief on that. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, 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 anyone who tells you they know uh, is either lying to themselves or lying to you or lying to uh, uh, to everyone around them. Um, you only need to take a quick look backward at uh, my industry, uh, which is uh, news, newspapers, to realize how quickly things can change. Uh, it was only in 2005 and 2006 when American newspapers had the two best years in the history of uh, newspapering. Um, uh, uh, advertising revenue came into the tune of $50 billion over those uh, uh, each of those two years. Um, It was a high point uh, for the industry. Um, Many people um, thought it wouldn't end. I mean, the Globe put an addition on our building in 2003, 2004, which was, uh, uh, it sits empty right now. Um, uh, Two years later, three years later, 2008, 2009, as Alex alluded to, uh, the New York Times stock fell so hard that a share of stock was less expensive than a uh, single copy of their Sunday paper. uh, the Globe, uh, the, actually the Times valuation uh, was less than a billion dollars, which was actually less than the price that they had paid for the Globe back in the early 1990s uh, for the entire company. Um, they threatened to uh, shut down the Globe. Uh, they tried to sell us and there was no deal. They cut uh, uh, expenses of the Globe rather drastically. Uh, by 2012, uh, the advertising revenue in newspapers nationwide had fallen to less than half of what it was in 2006. Uh, So it is a uh, swift-moving tide that has affected this industry. So to try to predict where it will be five years from now uh, is foolish. I mean, the projections now are advertising revenue is continuing to drop uh, on the print side at about 9% a year. And that's not even the scary part. The real scary part in my industry is that digital advertising revenue is now projected to fall, and has been falling. And that has traditionally been seen as the area of growth in my business. Um, It's largely on account of something called uh, programmatic buying, which is um, uh, companies that buy uh, through a computer uh, model, uh, rather than seek out to try to buy individually uh, from The Globe or The New York Times or something else. They just try to buy a certain number of page views in the Boston area and pay a lower price for it. We all know what went wrong, Uh, two basic things, and I'll just review it really quickly. Uh, One is the collapse of the the, uh, classified advertising market. Uh, The dirty little secret of newspapers uh, was that much of the journalism in them uh, was supported by the classified ads in the back of the paper, mostly on Sundays, help wanted ads that you never really read unless you were looking for a job. And the Globe, along with um, the L.A. Times. Uh, was one of uh, the most successful papers in the country at uh, bringing this classified ad revenue in, Uh, tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars a year in classified ad revenue. It supported uh, for a paper, well, it supported at the Globe uh, uh, bureaus and uh, foreign bureaus in eight different countries. Um, We had bureaus in uh, uh, Europe, uh, two in the Middle East, uh, one in China, one in Africa, South America, Canada, Uh, We had a Washington bureau that's over twice the size uh, as it is now. We had domestic bureaus in Silicon Valley, Chicago, New York. Uh, We opened up a New Orleans bureau because uh, we had a reporter, Curtis Wilkie, who got frustrated and just drove to New Orleans in the middle of one night, uh, (laughs) called up and said, I'm now your southern reporter. And and it didn't matter back then. We had so much money, we we supported it. Uh, Now, combine that, the loss in classified advertising to places like Craigslist, Monster.com, Jobs.com, Cars.com, RealEstate.com, so much of that money went away, and uh, uh, we're left with a fraction of it, and it's not a particularly good fraction, and we've come to the realization that that money's not really coming back. Uh, So combine that with um, uh, the impact of digital platforms on readership Uh, back in the mid-1990s, Uh, The Globe, as well as most other major papers around the country, uh, opened up websites to accompany their print products, and those websites um, uh, largely, uh, with a few exceptions like the Wall Street Journal, uh, gave the journalism away for free. The assumption back then was that digital ad revenue would support the cost of the journalism uh, or that the Internet wouldn't really catch on and it wouldn't matter. Um, uh, Both of those have proven uh, starkly wrong. So our circulation has plummeted. Uh, The globe at its peak in the early uh, 2000s had a Sunday circulation of 800,000 print. Uh, Daily was uh, we scraped up against 500,000 for a while. Uh, That has fallen uh, precipitously. Um, But I'd like to make the point here that uh, um, every day now, even though we have a much smaller paid Print circulation Um, uh, every day, uh, and and I'll look at yesterday for example. Uh, Yesterday was an uncomfortably slow news day for me. Um, Yet we had 360,000 unique visitors going to the home site of uh, uh, the homepage of uh, boston.com. We had 92,000 unique visitors going to the homepage of bostonglobe.com. We sold 220,000 print papers. Uh, Sundays we sell closer to 350,000 print papers and on a fairly good day on a newsy day we'll be up at 400,000 uniques on the homepage of boston.com and uh, uh, another 100 to 110,000 on bostonglobe.com the point being that we have more readers of boston globe journalism now than we have ever had in the history of the paper and the larger point from that being that while the business model is definitely broken let's not make any bones about that, the journalism model is not. Um, So the question is, how do you fix the business model to make things right? Uh, Thousands of very, very bright minds around the country are working, and around the world actually, are working on this question uh, every day and every night, and arguably uh, the foundations of strong democracies are dependent on the answers to this because, as we all know, newspapers, news organizations are vital to this. Uh, The answers are hard to come by, and there's actually a very odd dynamic in the air right now. Uh, um, uh, Here in this country, we've seen some people uh, protecting print with all their might and other people rushing into digital, and we've got two very uh, obvious examples. The Orange County Register uh, was uh, not too long ago bought by a uh, very smart, very capable uh, Boston-based businessman named Aaron Kushner, uh, who has gambled uh, uh, very, very heavily on uh, the print product out there? He hired a couple of hundred young, new uh, reporters. Uh, he is, um, uh, again, devoting himself to print. Uh, he is devoting himself to the concept of uh, more local to the point of being hyper local. And the industry has watched him very, very closely. Alex, I'm sure you have. And uh, what we've seen there, his numbers, are it's a privately held company, so we don't get to uh, look completely under the hood. But we have not seen any circulation growth there. In fact, we've seen the opposite. Uh, We've seen a uh, pretty uh, deep layoff uh, uh, not too long after uh, he hired a whole lot of new people. We've seen massive uh, upheaval in his newsroom. His longtime, very respected editor, Ken Brusick. Uh, left in the last couple of months and took much of his leadership team with him. Uh, So while uh, Aaron is still looking to uh, spread uh, his paper into Los Angeles and Orange County uh, without many, many new hires, it looks like. So that right now does not look like uh, the ultimate solution. We're still wishing uh, wishing him very well out there. On the opposite end of things, uh, there's John Payton uh, with Digital First Media, Uh, They announced last week that they are shutting down a very closely watched uh, enterprise called Project Thunderdome, which was – Digital First is an oddly large uh, newspaper company. It's like the big newspaper company that very few people have heard of. Uh, Project Thunderdome was uh, uh, their attempt at economies of scale where they uh, produced – Templated uh, news sites uh, out of an operation in New York for all their smaller papers, uh, based on national international news, to the tune of about fifty million dollars. Um, John is um, uh, uh, preaches very very heavily about the uh, very hard about uh, the benevolence of uh, digital, um, uh, and uh, he's 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 a loud voice. He's a he's a commonly heard voice, but. Uh, Ken Doctor reported last week that not only are they shutting down uh, uh, Project Underdome, but that it looks as if some of their, uh, if not all their papers are going to go on the auction block uh, uh, by the end of the year. Um, uh, John um, uh, is a undoubtedly uh, smart, well-intentioned guy, um, uh, but it doesn't look like that zeal for digital is the right way either. Um, so, what does work? Um, The answer for for me and uh, I think at the Globe um, and for uh, great papers like the New York Times is that we need a balance. We can't run uh, from one side of the spectrum to the other too quickly. There's an understanding, rightfully so, that the future of our industry is digital. There's no question about that. Uh, But yet I can tell you at the Globe uh, more than three-quarters of our revenue still comes through the door based on our print product. So to run too hard towards digital is leaving too much behind, and if you don't pay attention to what the future is in digital, then you're stuck in the past, and it's going to uh, get pulled out from under you. Um, We're seeing all sorts of great uh, uh, sites open up around uh, around the industry. Most recently, Vox opened uh, this week uh, with Ezra Klein, and it's a terrific site. I I don't know if. Gotten a chance to go on it, but the reality is, uh, uh, a place like the Globe isn't going to find its ultimate answers in sites like Vox or Politico or BuzzFeed or Mashable or or Upworthy or anything like that. And nor do I think that the Globe is going to provide uh, a template for the for the rest of the industry, because what works in Boston isn't going to work in Springfield or Dallas. Uh, What works in Boston (coughs) ideally will work here in Boston. And to that end, here's a little bit about what I'm doing and um, uh, what the ownership is looking for. Uh, uh, My goal as editor, I've been editor for uh, about 15 months now, and uh, uh, my goal as editor is uh, to make sure that we maintain the highest possible quality uh, in the newsroom. And that goal, I know it's obvious, but that goal is supported uh, 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 to a wonderful degree by this ownership. Um, uh, They're not trying to cut their way to higher profitability. Uh, We believe uniformly uh, the quality will sell and does sell. Um, So to that end, what I'm trying to do is make the Boston Globe as much the paper of interest in this city is it is a paper of record. Uh, the days of you know every city having a paper of record and people feeling compelled to read it just because they had to read the paper, those are over. The options out there are, uh, are far too many to uh, think that uh, 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 the Globe is required reading. It's not. Um, we want it to be as enjoyable and as interesting as it is to anybody obligatory. And so we're trying to mix it up on the front page. Where, uh, um, uh, we're trying to do um, more in-depth narrative reporting, uh, as well as narrative reporting that uh, um, you know isn't necessarily as in-depth as you might traditionally think narrative is. Um, uh, we're trying to tell stories in different ways. We're trying to double down on accountability and investigative reporting uh, uh, in a very big way. Um, we want to go even stronger on politics. Um, And we're not at all embarrassed to uh, try out new sections, uh, new elements of the paper that might have appeal to advertisers uh, to support the rest of our journalism. And you can see that most recently in a new Sunday real estate section we uh, published, uh, which um, has been extremely well received on the advertising market. And the money we're getting from that can help us support the investigative reporting that we regard as far more important. Um, uh, we want to continue uh, to push our arts coverage. Uh, we believe we have some of the strongest arts coverage in America. Uh, we also believe that the arts are vital in the city of Boston, um, and uh, we'll continue to push that. We're also about to uh, revamp uh, both of our websites, uh, including bostonglobe.com, which is our uh, premium uh, subscription site, to add even more personality, more of the full personality of the Boston Globe onto the site. Uh, um, So our belief is um, uh, that ultimately quality uh, and a greater spirit of entrepreneurship is what will help us grind out of this downturn, and we're already feeling the effects uh, in a good way uh, uh, so far in the last year, so those are my uh, brief remarks. Is that brief enough? That's been perfect. Um, so, any questions? I'd be delighted. To <clears throat> let me
1: let me have the first couple, if I, if I may. I was afraid of that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it was very shocking that you didn't use the word sports section in your in your description of uh, <laughs> of the strategy of the Boston Globe. I think it goes without saying that that's uh, that, that's that's key, but leave that aside. The the reality as far as I can tell in the newspaper industry is that um, it is a myth that newspapers are on the verge of going out of business. Most newspapers like like more than 90% are making an operating profit. Um, But they're making an operating profit on a lower revenue level and if there is another two thousand and eight nine, there is now nothing left for most newspapers to cut back on. I mean the thing is the newspaper industry, because of two thousand and eight nine had to get its house in order to to deal with a reality was that the revenue basis of the business was going to be lower and probably the profit margin was going to be lower, but there is a profit margin. The ones that are in most trouble are mostly in trouble because of their debt service, not because of their operating profit. But when you look you know, at this issue of digital revenue in decline, that is very troubling. When you look at the idea of, of whether people will continue to support The institution, it seems to me that is a very important one, too. My sense of what you're making your bet on is that you can persuade a lot of people in Boston that the globe is something they should support, and support it by reading, by buying a subscription, and so forth. When you look around the industry outside Boston, when you look at newspapers that you compare yourselves to, what do you see outside your own Newspaper and the and the thing that you actually can control. So. Well, it,
2: it, it's a really good question, and, and um, the answer is going to sound like there's a lot of hubris in it uh, in terms of pride in the globe. But we understand here in Boston that we have uh, an uncommonly sophisticated readership. Um, we just do here. It's, it, it's it's the reality. We're in a we're in a we're in a smart area. and Uh, We're in uh, a region that has depended uh, um, quite a bit on the globe over the years. Um, uh, Obviously for sports, for politics, but also for investigative reporting uh, as well. I mean, you know, uh, when you think, and I'll get off my high horse in a minute, I promise, but when you think about Boston without the globe, um, uh, I mean, it's kind of a scary place in many ways because Boston without the globe is a place where Whitey Bulger might still be killing people with impunity in South Boston because it was a Globe that broke the story uh, that he was a federal informant. Um, Boston without the Globe is a place where Cardinal Law might still be sending pedophilic priests from one parish to another because it was a Globe that broke that story and won the Pulitzer Prize for public service and caused uh, that, that, that you know, that storyline to ripple around the world. Uh, Boston without the Globe is a place where the State Probation Department is run like a criminal enterprise. It's a Globe that broke that story. So we we believe that people have come to depend on, on the Globe, and, and, and consequently we have, um, and I'm hoping John Henry doesn't ever listen to this, uh, uh, we have probably more reporters, more journalists per subscriber at the Globe than, than any other metropolitan paper in the country. Um, uh, we understand that, uh, but we need it uh, because we charge a lot of money for the paper. Uh, we, uh, To your point earlier in your introductory remarks, um, the paradigm was flipped. Uh, we are counting on readers to fund much of the journalism we do. We had a big, big price hike uh, back in 2009. Uh, uh, we're now the most expensive metropolitan newspaper in the country to subscribe to. Uh, we get people's credit cards, we hit them up for $700 plus a year, uh, and we keep billing them every month until uh, six months after they're dead. And uh, <laughs> uh, um, But we believe that when people are paying that amount of money and uh, people have come to depend on us, that they need and want great journalism. So we support a, a, a very strong newsroom here. Um, um, but. What was the other part of your question? Well,
1: let's go to what you just said, because I think that's a very critical point. Why? What, I mean, I'm sure you must have done focus groups or something that makes you understand the rationale that people make to continue to subscribe to the Boston Globe at a time when, you know, everybody's trying to save money. It's very expensive relative to what it was before. And it's a lower product quality just in terms of, you know, there's now that those foreign bureaus are closed and those other bureaus, there's no Washington bureau. And things. I mean, by, by the standard of what the, you know, what was, it's less and it costs a lot more. So the decision to subscribe is rooted in something that I think you would want to understand well. Have you all... <coughs> Dug into that.
2: Yeah. So those I listened to, you maybe not well enough, uh, but we know that subscribers who have been subscribers for two years or more will almost universally be subscribers for life. Uh, anyone who we have two years or longer, we have forever. And the key is to get them to that two-year mark, and then the numbers bear it out. Um, uh, I mean, what they value is exactly what you would think they value. I mean, first and foremost, they, val- they do value our investigative and accountability reporting. That uh, uh, jumps off the charts in every survey that we do among our loyal uh, <laughs> subscribers. Uh, uh, every time we have a spotlight report out, um, uh, it is by far uh, the most read thing in the paper. Every time we have a- an investigative or narrative project, it jumps off the charts. Uh, um, we have done, I hope, you agree? Uh, tell me if you don't. We have done nothing to try to dumb down our paper. Uh, um, you know, we have made decisions about what we can't cover so we don't spread ourselves too thin. But what we do cover, we want to cover with great zeal and depth.
1: The other part of the question I asked you originally was what you see when you look around at the industry.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's a really great question. And, and you know, what I see is exactly what you see, Alex. And it's an industry that is. A whole lot thinner, and the Globe is not an exception to that. Uh, back in the heyday, early 2000s, the Globe had 540 journalists in the room, and uh, my predecessor, uh, Marty Baron, uh, who's as good an editor as uh, that newspaper will ever see, uh, as good an editor as there is in America, uh, 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 with with you know a whole lot of structure and a whole lot of integrity was forced to cut the paper from 540 uh, uh, journalists to about 360, which is where it is now. Uh, that's what, a 35 to 40 percent cut in the uh, number of uh, journalists of the paper. And there is no doubt, I don't pretend at all, it is uh, a different paper now than it was in 2002. Uh, it would be a lie to tell you it wasn't. Uh, um, but again, the, and, and to your question, nationally the cuts have been deeper. And uh, um, we like to think we're, um, you know, forgive me, but we like to think that we are still a more thoughtful report uh, on a daily basis in the globe.
1: And I would like for you to also, before I open it completely, uh, to talk about John Henry. You said that he's not interfered. This past week, the uh, family that owns another family, a Newhouse family that owns the Star Ledger, which is the overwhelmingly most. Uh, Important newspaper in terms of size, anyway, in New Jersey, announced a sweeping cut in the size of its uh, staff at the time when probably there's more fertile investigative ground in uh, New Jersey than any other time. (laughs) You know, this is also the family that turned the Times-Picayune in New Orleans, which was the savior of New Orleans after the flood, um, turned it basically into a paper that, uh, that appeared in, on paper on weekends and basically gave away the the franchise that that is the uh, genuine lifeblood financially of newspapers still in this country, which is print advertising. Yeah. That's where the money is. When you look at that ownership, what do you see?
2: So first on on Newhouse, I mean, and it's tragic what's going on in uh, Newark. Um, but that gets to my earlier point about um, newspaper owners rushing to one end of the spectrum or the other. And Newhouse in New Orleans, Newhouse in I believe Cleveland, also uh, went to um, uh, non-seven day a week print papers. Uh, and that has been devastating. Places that have done that have largely turned around and come back uh, to uh, uh, print the paper every day, uh, you know, back to John Payton at Digital First. Um, uh, I mean, he's he's really preached it hard. But, I mean, uh, John, for all his many talents at this point, he's got preferred parking at bankruptcy court uh, because he keeps going back there. Uh, uh, the Digital First model doesn't work uh, right now. We need to have print involved. And, and to your question about the new ownership at the Globe, um, John Henry uh, um, uh, from everything that I have seen uh, understands very clearly that uh, uh, you know we are an industry and specifically a newspaper uh, that is going through an incredibly awkward transition and the transition is from print to digital but you cannot leave print behind as you uh, look to embrace digital you have to have you have to have a leg in each uh, in each end I'm trying to think of it. Any more cliches I can use there, <laughs> 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 uh, none come to mind. Uh.
1: And, and Shaughnessy is still an employee of the Boston Globe.
2: <laughs> uh, Dan is...
1: Uh, For those of you who are not Bostonians or readers of the Boston Globe, the Boston Globe has the most savage sports columnist <laughs> in the United States. And when I say savage, I mean he savages his own teams. He savages the Red Sox. He savages the Patriots. And he does it with certain, you know, glee, as far as I can tell. So
2: I I, I might just use a different word. Um, I I would call it insightful. (laughs) Uh, Dan, for my money, is one of, uh, absolutely one of the best sports columnists in the country. Uh, and uh, uh, as long as I'm the editor of the paper, I, I aim to have him as our, one of our lead, if not our lead, sports columnists.
1: Well, as I say, th- some of you may not know that John Henry, the owner of the Boston Globe, is also the owner of the Red Sox. <laughs> so. There have been a few <laughs> awkward moments. <so> it, <laughs> uh, let me open this to students first. If, uh, if you're a student at the Kennedy School or Harvard and you would like to ask a question, just raise your hand and let me know. Yes. About the products produced for print medium versus your digital medium in different ways i.e. there's you know constraints on story
2: length on you know like location of stories and prioritization in
0: print that there aren't in digital so do you think about those as two different products or is the same thing?
2: No it's a really good question um, it's always kind of cracked me up before I became editor uh, before I became editor I was a columnist and it is a um, it's almost like a, a bizarre scientific experiment to make a columnist the editor of the paper uh, uh, because <laughs> I had no, no extraordinary management experience uh, behind me. And I always used to look and wonder. Um, the the organization would labor every day over the decisions of what to put on the front page of the print paper. And then you'd have some, like, 28-year-old guy making the decisions what to put at the top of the homepage or woman. Um, and, It kind of made no sense. Uh, um, We've tried to add um, a little bit more structure to that. And and with the understanding, to your very good point, that you're on occasion playing to different audiences, and what works on your website is often going to be different than what works uh, on a a mobile site that somebody is reading while they're waiting for a latte at Starbucks. And it's what's different. It, it's different than what somebody is reading when they pull the uh, print paper from the end of their driveway uh, in the morning. So, you know, yesterday was a really good example. We um, and we have metrics, real time metrics to uh, go by to see what's working and not working on digital. So we let some of that, not all of that, drive it. Yesterday we had a uh, story on a massive renovation of uh, uh, the TD uh, TD Garden, um, the basketball hockey arena. Um, Uh, $70 million renovation we put on the business page, and uh, online it just blew up. It was our most read story of the day. So we had that on the top of our homepage for much of the day. Um, um, So it's not always going to equate. uh, And, you know, again, it was a really smart question. Lengths of stories, um, it's funny because When you're on digital, you can actually let a story run longer because there's no print constraint. There's no page that comes to an end. The real constraint, though, on digital is you're not going to keep people on that uh, platform for as long. So uh, there's kind of a paradox there. So we understand that. I mean, I I happen to think the next frontier on this is a different kind of storytelling completely for mobile for smartphones Um, and nobody is there yet the New York Times has just started to make a uh, run at this uh, with the new mobile app they put out a couple of weeks ago but I think there's an even smarter way to go about it That's the next frontier
1: Native advertising, I don't want you to get away without addressing that. Have you all started doing that yet?
2: So we've started looking really hard at it. Ex- and explain
1: what native advertising is. Well,
2: mean, and that's a good question, Alex. It's something different to – I don't think it has a real clear definition. I mean, everybody views it as something different. To us, we look at it as um, uh, advertising that is uh, melded into the website uh, in a way that um, – you know, uh, it it, it fits in almost as if it's a new story, although it uh, has clear lines around it that it is not a new story. And sometimes the content can um, be written in such a way that it's got a newsier quality to it. It's it's also, that's different than sponsorship uh, in some ways. And sponsorship is a company like General Electric yesterday sponsored the the launch of uh, Vox, um, and uh, when you went out to Vox, it was a GE logo uh, on the uh, big picture at the top of the homepage, uh, which Native sponsored. Same thing. I don't know What's your your definition might be different than mine. Um, well, but
1: the, the the point is that the advertisers prefer to have their message delivered in the body of something that looks like news because it has more credibility. And the tension is. That the more like it is the more apt it is to be confused with news. The better the advertisers like it, but there is a, a line that is in, unclear, uh, in many newspapers about how close is too close, so that you lose the credibility of your own reporting because people equate it with something that is bought and paid for. Uh, eventually, they figure that out, and it basically discredits your own journalistic credibility, but the, the there's no question that the whole idea of advertising that is made to look like news is because people hope that it will be confused with news.
2: And my standard is pretty simple on that. We just have to make sure it's delineated, that it doesn't look like news. It, that it, can, be, it can be in a position, it could be a news position, but it has to stand out as something that's not news. I mean, we've, we've had these debates um, on so many different fronts. A couple of years ago, it was about front-page advertising and would we allow advertising on the front page (coughs) of the paper? And there was all this hand-wringing about it. And what's funny is if you go back and read a Boston Globe from the 20s or 30s, maybe even the 40s, there's front-page advertising all over the place. Uh, You know, we act like we're uh, Snow White on the issue, and we're we're not. Um, uh, So front page, we finally put front-page advertising out there anticipating this outpouring of of, uh, complaint from our readers. I don't think we got a single call. Um, (laughs) uh, We had, um, earlier this year, above the fold front page advertising. It was a little Citizens Bank ad on the left side of our paper and what we call the rail, which is uh, the the part of the front page that teases the stories inside. All, again, all this hand-wringing and uh, not a single complaint. Uh, um, And it was clearly delineated, clearly marked as Advertising, I mean, from my point of view, um, uh, I don't want to be riding around on a white horse uh, through an empty newsroom. Advertising <laughs> supports what it is we do. Okay, well,
1: here, here's, the, here's the difference between a, a Citizens Bank sponsorship, say, of your of the column where you're referring people to things inside, and something that looks like an article, that has a headline that looks pretty much like the Boston Globe and talks about all the great things that are happening at Citizens Bank. Now that...
2: That's not going to happen. Well,
1: that is native advertising.
2: Yeah, but that's not going to happen on our... We will... That will be so clearly marked uh, that there will be no confusion or no desire by Citizens to have that. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Other questions from... Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, Thank you. I, I grew up with the Boston Globe, and um, back in the day, it had uh, excellent international coverage. You said there were eight foreign bureaus that were closed. So you've eliminated all your international coverage, but not eliminated the word Globe from the mass set of the newspaper. I wonder if part of this doubling down on quality um, will will somehow mark also a return to international news coverage in, in, in one way or another. Is there a way to sort of that together again after it's been completely dismantled and that that's a great question too and what i commonly say is that uh, i i want nothing more than to be able to fulfill the fulfill our own name um and cover the globe uh short answer is it's not going to happen immediately i've been taking uh real baby steps towards that we sent uh uh, a reporter, David Filipov, to Ukraine to uh, cover the conflict, um, uh, which we probably wouldn't have done, maybe wouldn't have done a couple of years ago because of funds um, uh, earlier this year. Uh, we um, uh, had reporters in uh, the Russian provinces after the marathon bombings uh, looking at uh, what we needed to look at over there. I just sent uh, a great reporter, Matt Visor, to uh, South Korea to uh, cover the uh, boom in Dunkin' Donuts. and the coffee culture (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Korea is the largest country for Dunkin Donuts coffee outside of uh, the US uh, you missed that story Alex it was a great story (laughs) uh, um, (laughs) do they take it regular? uh, (laughs) Uh, there is a a four story Dunkin Donuts in downtown um, (laughs) Seoul where people go to just hang out at night so I have been taking to your point I have been taking baby steps but to a, a point that I made a while ago about Um, cutting down on resources uh, and spreading ourselves too thin. The decision was made by Marty Baron, and I support it fully, that we can't try to do everything just in a thinner way. And the Globe, along with many other major metro papers around the country, have decided that what we do best is cover our region. And where we want to dedicate the most resources we have is in our region, and that's for local news coverage, local arts coverage, local sports coverage. And where we can uh, cover national stories, we will. Um, uh, We still do have a Washington Bureau of uh, six uh, really good people. Uh, They've won a couple of really nice awards already this year for some work they did last year on dysfunction in government. Uh, uh, But if if John Henry calls me up when I leave here and says, hey, I've got – Twenty million. I want to invest uh, in the in the company. Uh, I would absolutely look at taking a a million or two of that and uh, having bureaus in key places. Yes, yeah. um, I had a question about the metrics that you collect about your readers. So yes, you know about the readers, but I wanted to know: Do you have more information in which about the context in which they read the news? For example, the construction of a sports stadium. Some sports enthusiasts might be interested in the point of view of sports, someone else might be interested from the point of view of real estate which could drive the direction which you follow up on that story so do you have some mechanism in place by which you judge the sentiment of the readers or is it just how many page views you get? Uh, I am. I could try to fake my way through this answer but I won't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am sure that we do. We have uh, an entire uh, uh, team of uh, uh, an analytics team that looks at these things uh, and They feed that information to what's known as our product team, which uh, determines, um, uh, you know, the way we present our news on various platforms. Uh, Has it gotten down to my level in which I'm, you know, trying to figure out who's reading what story for what reason? No. I mean, I kind of, you know, I'm curious about it. Uh, uh, I kind of know it inherently, but uh, no, that has not reached me, but it's a good question.
1: Here's a question for you about just news judgment. Why would you have put the renovation of you know this incredibly important sports facility on the business page which is inside the metro section mm-hmm. instead of on the front page?
2: Um, because it r- very rarely, but every once in a while, we make small mistakes. <laughs> 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 there's, there's no other way to answer okay.
1: it. <laughs> OK. Are there any other students who who, uh, who would like to weigh in? OK. Then I will open it. Yes, Lee
0: you know, Boston is a great student town and it had a very robust um, alternative student you know, student-y press, the real paper there's some real paper and Phoenix alums around um, since those have folded and since there is a huge student population which, uh, have, you, have you done anything particular to try to kind of capture the, the audience and, and the energy of what was the Alternative press?
2: A little bit. Um, So, yeah, we we opened up. When the Phoenix closed, we hired uh, a couple of uh, uh, relatively key people over there and opened up um, um, uh, what's known in the parlance of the day as a vertical, which is a separate site that lives away from our regular sites but has an affiliation to it uh, uh, called BDC Wire, which is uh, Boston.com Wire, which is... um, A site that uh, basically covers uh, the pop arts uh, uh, music scene around Boston, um, uh, with a much sharper edge to it than you would see on either one of our two websites, uh, Boston.com or BostonGlobe.com. It's done okay. I mean, the problem, the problem is the question. You didn't really know about it, and uh, so so, um, that's the problem. We haven't done a particularly good job of marketing it, and. Uh, We looked really hard when the Phoenix closed um, at opening up a digital uh, and or print alternative, and ultimately we decided that why would we think we could make a run at something that the Phoenix couldn't when they had um, uh, the history and the DNA to do it. Uh, I do still think, I agree with you, I do think there's a play to be made there. Um, We're hoping to bring... You know, some, if not many of those readers, onto Boston.com. We're going to um, unfurl a pretty significant renovation of the aesthetic of Boston.com uh, in the coming days or weeks. Um, and we think that, we hope that will be attractive to people of a certain age. Um, look, I've also found it a little bit um, uh, unsettling, if not scary, for an organization like the Globe to. Um, pretend to be something that we're not, and that is to try to appeal to an audience that maybe we, we, we don't have natural appeal to, but with something like Boston.com, we do, I mean, we know it from our metrics. We we, we do appeal to a, um, a cross-section of people, including some young people who are into those kinds of issues. So, Yes. Uh, I speak as a former copy boy for The Globe. In the summer of
0: 1940. Thank you for your service. (laughs) I want to ask you about John Allen. For those who haven't heard of him, uh, he's been a longtime reporter of things Catholic, especially the Vatican. And you hired him and made him an associate editor. And I was wondering.
2: So, it's a good question. So, John Allen is um, uh, uh, considered to be the um, most insightful, best connected uh, English language reporter on issues of the Vatican. And he was a longtime reporter for the National Catholic Reporter, which is a website and weekly paper uh, covering uh, Catholicism around the globe. I um, mean, it's been written elsewhere. Um, so I can say it here, uh, John Henry um, had what I think is a very good idea to open up a separate site that covers worldwide Catholicism, and uh, um, he didn't tell me about that uh, when, he, uh, when he reached out to John Allen, because uh, uh, he had heard that John was the you know, foremost uh, Catholic correspondent in the world. And John called me up, John Henry called me up one day and said, hey, I, I, you know you know, I want to do this Catholic site. What if we uh, have lunch with John Allen? And uh, I, I knew well of John Allen. We'd quoted him routinely in the paper. He's a um, Vatican uh, uh, correspondent for CNN, uh, a really, really respected voice. So I got together with him for lunch the day after the Red Sox won the World Series uh, last year. Um, uh, John didn't look so good that morning, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> We got together for lunch and uh, um, uh, hit it off, and I was very excited to get John Allen to the globe. Uh, John Allen was very excited to get to the globe. There's some sort of – you know, there's some poetic justice in this, given the role of the globe in the Catholic Church from the uh, uh, priest scandals uh, back in the early – reporting back in the early 2000s. And uh, the goal is – the intention is to open up a separate site, um, again, a vertical – that will be devoted to catholic issues and we're aiming for late spring early summer john will be the chief correspondent for that site and we'll take his reporting and cross-purpose it in the globe as uh, as we want to but his primary job will be with that site um and i just it's worth making the point here um i'm not looking to turn the globe into the uh you know the pilot uh, uh, i'm looking uh to cover uh, all religions, uh, all faiths as we already do, and we have, from my money, one of the best faith reporters in the country, Lisa Wangsness, covering all other religions as we have John covering Catholicism. Tom.
0: Tom. As you know, uh, there's a lot of concentration uh, of audience on the web, and a lot of that has to do with brand names, so that for NYTimes.com, CLM.com, they can pursue kind of a, Strategy and international strategy, even to try to, to increase their, their audience. And uh, you mentioned that the Globe uh, has kind of a regional strategy. Uh, and I'm going to be. talk more about that. I can see it in the context of the Red Sox, the Patriots. How does one think about region? I mean, I, uh, kind of the Globe is like a little bit like the Atlanta Constitution, uh, where it could reasonably pursue that strategy. It's kind of hard to think about the Philadelphia Inquirer pursuing it. I mean, this is a pretty distinct region with some common interests, but strategically, how do you, how do you think about kind of extending your reach into the region? Well, I mean, we actually think
2: about it all the time, and uh, um, there is a bit of an irony in that. You know, I, I personally, in terms of the region, uh, I look at our region as all of New England. Obviously, we're focused, our readership is focused within Route 495 and even more within Route 128. Uh, but I happen to think, as you just alluded to, we live in a very distinct region of the country. Uh, I mean, there's barely another region as distinct, uh, maybe the Northwest. Uh, but uh, um, there's a bit of an irony in that we used to have reporters covering New Hampshire. We used to have reporters covering northern New England. We've had to cut those. And I'm thinking uh, hard about whether we actually put somebody up there. Uh, uh, maybe we make a foray into Rhode Island, as uh, is the Providence Journal has just been hit really hard by economic forces down there. Um, You know, maybe we do that, maybe we don't. I don't know. Um, And we make that attempt to uh, um, enlarge our natural base of readership. But even amid this regional strategy, uh, it's amazing, um, particularly Boston.com, how many uh, national readers it gets um, driven to the site by search and social uh, largely, um, uh, Red Sox coverage, Patriots coverage. Um, I mean, the, you know, the, you get sick of the phrase "Red Sox Nation," um, uh, but it really does exist, and it's it's truly national. Uh, we actually started distributing, uh, selling the paper uh, in and around Fort Myers this spring. We had it uh, printed by the uh, Fort Myers paper, and we had home delivery in the Fort Myers area. Um, Uh, because there are so many Bostonians uh, who are down there. I mean, I come from Weymouth, and uh, Marco Island is like Weymouth South for three months every every year. Uh, So um, while we are pursuing the regional strategy, we're also understanding that there's national opportunity there, too, and we're not looking completely askance at that. Nick. I've been teaching in the School of Journalism at Northeastern University for the last 25 years. Um, And I'm amazed that uh, my students uh, believe that there's a future in journalism. Um, I believe there is, myself. But I'd be interested to know what kind of advice you would give them how to start a career in journalism today. It's a good question. And what's amazing is it's not that different than from when I started uh, 30 years ago. I began, uh, I did internships when I was in college. I uh, did an internship with the Patriot Ledger back when it was a really, really strong paper. Um, one of the best suburban papers in the country then with the Bergen record, probably one of the two best. Uh, um, I got a job with the Ledger right out of school covering the town of Plymouth. And... It's not that different now. I mean, uh, there is, uh, there are still extraordinary opportunities for people who are willing to come out of school, uh, um, not seeking uh, big paychecks, who will cover uh, individual communities uh, in the same way that we did it back then. Only they'll be doing it for Patch uh, or for Hyper, uh, for Wicked Local, um, uh, maybe for the Globe, um, uh, in our regional uh, issues, uh, our regional editions. Uh, But those opportunities still exist and they haven't changed that much uh, uh, because the belief is that somebody willing and able uh, um, uh, with the talent to find news and tell good and interesting stories, that hasn't changed. What has changed, uh, 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 you know, are the, um, the range in which you can tell those stories and that is, you know, people who are particularly facile with uh, video, people who don't mind going on camera themselves, uh, people who are better with data than we ever had to be way back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but that's kind of, you know, more natural progression of where this industry is going than any kind of seismic shift. So I, I think the same kinds of opportunities are still there in the same ways. Yes,
0: uh, comment and then a question. You- Local basis and your achievement in my view and that of many, many others uh, with respect to exploiting an issue that was local but has had enormous effects around the world in the academic community is the story you did in the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. The globe uh, really took up where the academy should have been years ago and <coughs> I can't <coughs> overemphasize how important it has been.
2: I appreciate that.
0: The um, question, you mentioned Marty Barron and his present post. Uh, if you were the billionaire who has bought the Washington Post, what would you and who has said that money is not the issue as far as he's concerned? I think he said that locally. Would you hope might emerge from that marriage? Bezos, Barron,
2: and the Washington Post. So you're saying it's not enough that I have my hands full with the Globe? (laughs) In our owner. Look, if I was a billionaire, I wouldn't be thinking about the Washington Post at all. But uh, um, I, I, I don't know how to answer your very good question. But what I do see is. An extraordinary opportunity and a whole lot of excitement that we have these two kind of newfangled owners in our industry right now they are as non traditional as you can get they are this is not the Newhouse family it's not the Salzberger family it's not the Taylor family although they're all good really good owners what we have at a time when I think we probably need it most are outside perspectives who can come in and uh, with deep pockets figure out where they strategically want to invest Um, and decide in a uh, uh, rather clinical way what doesn't work and what we should jettison. And I think that's exciting, too, uh, uh, because, you know, we're in this industry and we're often married to uh, concepts that no longer work. And um, people from the outside can figure that out well. I mean, look, I I happen to love the Washington Post. Uh, I think the Graham family was an extraordinary uh, newspaper family, a publishing family. Uh, uh, what it took for Don Graham to sell that paper, I can't even imagine. Um, um, a heart-wrenching decision and probably ultimately a wise decision. Uh, uh, but Don uh, made a bet a long time ago that uh, uh, very different, uh, and Alex, please stop me if I'm wrong, very different from the New York Times, where the New York Times went and uh, uh, pursued uh, national ambitions and a national advertising audience, a national subscription base, uh, the post decided that their base was local, even though uh, what they wrote about was inherently national because it's where the federal government was. But they were still basing it off a local uh, advertiser base, local subscriber base. And we've seen that uh, um, it's not necessarily that it was a wrong decision. It was probably their only decision. But they've suffered the same way that other metropolitan papers around the country have. Uh, they're still a whole lot bigger than the globe. Um, um they still have uh, uh, great ambitions and you know I've seen a little bit of what Marty is doing down there and Bezos looks like he's investing in a significant way especially on the digital side uh, and um, you know we wish him well because we'll replicate anything that uh, works down there. Bill. Uh, to go to the other end of the scale from the foreign bureaus, I, I want to ask you a question about your towns and the neighborhood coverage. This is really one
0: of the, the classic nuts to try to solve for Metro Daily, I know, Um, and the Globe still does a lot with its regional Sunday sections, but I noticed last month, at least some reporters were laid off, I think, from the York initiative. What opportunities do you see in the way of collaborating with local startups in neighborhoods around town, or where where do you see all that unfold?
2: It's a good question. We're looking at every possible model. This has been a, a really really frustrating facet of the business, Uh, uh, you know, many, many very good major metro papers uh, have taken a hard run at this. Uh, Many have tried novel approaches uh, in terms of how you cover uh, very local, -local. hyper-local. The Globe made a really hard run at it a number of years ago. Uh, We hired a ton of people. Uh, and ramped up a collection of websites dedicated to individual towns that would also feed into our twice weekly regional editions. Um, but nobody, nobody has been able to figure this out well. Um, uh, AOL uh, threw, what was it, uh, was it 100 million or 200 million into patch, um, uh, only to uh, basically um, uh, liquidate it uh, uh, after a couple of years because they couldn't make a good run at it. Uh, um. You know, Gatehouse seems to have a good model, but Gatehouse, uh, getting back to what Alex was talking about earlier, is burdened with extraordinary debt that makes it really hard to uh, take a good run there. Um, uh, the globe is no different. Uh, we had high hopes uh, for hyperlocal, but we had websites, uh, hyperlocal websites that were aesthetically outdated, uh, technologically backward. Uh, we didn't have the money. Uh, it's where we chose not to invest our money. And I made the decision uh, last month to lay off uh, half a dozen really, really good young reporters, a uh, few of which were you know, trying to relocate within the company. Uh, these are really strong reporters. Um, and we're going to take a new look at whether there's a model out there that may still work. And it's everything from uh, partnering with uh, the best local blog in any given community and doing a revenue share off any advertising we might get. Uh, to, you know, stuff that's out there that I don't even know about yet. But we have not given up on it, but we have hit the pause button a bit on it.
1: we We're out of time. I'm sorry to say that. Before we close, though, I want to make one uh, commercial for the importance of the Boston Globe and having its represent the role of newspapers, I think, the serious newspapers anyway, in every community. Some of you who live here and have been here for a while may very well remember, as I do, Picking up that Sunday newspaper in 2002, or whatever it was, uh, with the story about the Catholic Church, it was stunning. It was an absolutely stunning story. It was a story that uh, outlined, chapter and verse, a very tragic and appalling tale about the misuse of power and the abuse of power. The thing that made it very, very significant, though, as well, was that the only comment by the Catholic Church in that newspaper story was no comment, was no comment. But because it was the Boston Globe, because it was the front page, because it was Sunday and because Boston Globe had had the goods, the Catholic Church could not maintain no comment. Pieces of that story had already been reported. They were in the Boston Phoenix, but the Boston Phoenix was brushed aside like a gnat. By the Catholic Church, the Boston Globe could not be brushed aside, and that's what made all the difference. And the institutional power of these of these newspapers in their communities, uh, when they are respected like the Boston Globe, uh, can be of inestimable <clears throat> importance. And I think that's one of the reasons those people are willing to pay $700 to sort of demonstrate support for the institution as much as anything else. And with that, we are closed. <laughs> Thank you, so Gracias.